it's easy to hold a grudge when someone hurts us, and we've all been hurt by someone in our lives. And, and when someone hurts us, we also are, are uh, uh, quick to justify our own actions, come up with excuses why that we were not wrong in the matter. And today we're going to see that mercy and forgiveness are just two sides of the same coin. In these Beatitudes, and specifically the one today, Jesus points to mercy as having a play in both sides of this coin. In a simple phrase, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, here's what it says. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are people of mercy, for they shall have mercy. They shall obtain or get mercy. Mercy. Let me define mercy for you. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown to someone within whom it's in your power to do them harm or punish them. When you have the power, the ability, you have the facts on your side, you have the ledger that is outlined why that you can do harm to them, and yet you decide to forgive. You extend mercy. That is being a forgiving person. Mercy and grace are closely related to, the, uh, to each other, but they're not the same. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. You see, what I deserve is judgment. What I deserve is God's divine justice and maybe even people's justice in some areas. What I deserve is to be confined to the back row. What I deserve is not to be advantaged. What I deserve is a punishment for my transgressions and for my actions. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. But grace, grace is a little bit different, different with the distinction. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. You don't deserve goodness. You don't deserve God's blessing. You don't deserve life everlasting. You do not deserve the free and unmerited favor of God. That is grace. So you, you see, we both we want both grace and mercy to be operative in our lives. And God offers both grace and mercy. But today I want us to focus on what it means to be a merciful person and how to walk in that mercy. But let me ask you a question. Have you recently experienced mercy? Can you, can you think about uh, recently in your life, it could be over the last weeks or months or maybe even the last year, where you've experienced mercy, either on the receiving end, someone has been merciful to you, or on the giving end, where you have extended unmerited favor and forgiveness to someone else. You see, the fact is that we all experience mercy, but many times we're not even aware of it. We're usually aware of mercy when we're extending it, but so often we miss the mercy when we are receiving it. But think it for a moment, think back in your mind's eye, have there been some moments just recently where you have been the recipient of mercy? Or maybe you extended mercy. When you extend mercy, you have to understand something, that it is a risky business. Giving mercy, being gracious, being kind, being a forgiving person is risky business because you stand the chance of getting taken advantage of. You may just get walked on. You may, have, you may just get used up a little bit. But that should not, hear me, it should not limit us from desiring to be merciful people. Jesus, as our example, as our model, was spit upon, 
He was whipped, he was beaten, a crown of thorns on his head. He was hung on a criminal's cross for crimes he did not commit. He extended his mercy as this risky business and he put himself out there beyond any scope that any of us have ever suffered. And he did it not for himself, but he did it for you and he did it for me. So Jesus is our example of extending mercy. I once heard a question and answer session. We were, we were at a conference. We were talking about the Dream Center in Los Angeles. And, and the Dream Center is, is world-renowned for their, their mercy and compassion and outreach to the, the lowest of the low in that great city, Los Angeles. And Matthew Barnett was being asked about how that you deal with people who are recurring um, uh, problems or recurring in need. These people that just, just all the time are, are in a, a benevolence case, so they always need something. And, and uh, what about, the, the question was, was posed like this, what about the people who take advantage of your kindness? What about those people who continue to be in your feeding line week after week, month after month, year after year? It seems like nothing much changes. How about those people who will listen to your gospel message, they'll eat your food, and then they'll go out and they'll continue to sin? And here was Matthew Barnett's response, and I'll never forget this. He said, if you are going to be a gospel bridge to a broken and dying world, then you have to expect you're going to be walked on every now and then. Jesus suffered, bled, and died. He rose on the third day with a mercy and grace in his voice to even his disciples who said they would not leave him. Peter saying, I will never leave you. Not me, Lord. And yet Jesus extended mercy when all of them cut and ran. There he was with mercy yet again. It is risky business, but it is the business we are called to. We have been called to be ministers of reconciliation. Did you know that you have a ministry given by the word of God today? You may not be in a pulpit ministry. You may never sing a song. You may never teach a class, but every believer in Jesus has been given the ministry of reconciliation, of putting things back together again, making what was wrong right. I love the, the quote by Jesus' brother, James. There's an entire book in the New Testament that bears his name, things that he had, he had observed while coming to faith after his brother Jesus. Could you imagine being the brother of someone who's perfect? I mean, it's, it's tough enough having a sibling, sibling rivalry when your brother or sister is maybe just a little bit better than you, but Jesus, his brother was perfect. And James yet pens these words, and he knows when he says that mercy triumphs over judgment. That's exactly what we want, don't we? We want God's mercy because it triumphs. It goes far beyond judgment in our lives. Now, all of us, and I would say this without exception, all of us would rather receive mercy than judgment. Somebody say, that's me. We would rather receive mercy than judgment. And yet most of us are really good at sizing people up. It may not be verbally, but we mentally size people up. We pass judgment, yet time and again, Scripture tells us not to do this. But I find myself watching people. You ever go to the mall and just watch people? I mean, it, people watching is, is really a pastime sport in America. 
I had one guy tell me recently, he said, you know, for Friday afternoon entertainment, what my wife and I like to do is go down to Waynesville, and we go to the, the grocery store, we get us some bologna and some bread, we go down to Caesars Creek boat dock, and we watch people try to back their boats into the water. It's really fun. You could set up some marriage counseling sessions right there on the, on the boat dock. But we size people up. We mentally judge people. We mentally put ourselves in superiority over someone else's actions. How dumb was that for them to do that? How, how stupid for them to think that way? And whether we verbalize it or not to everyone, we usually do to one or two, but we think and we size people up and we are judges of people. Yet Jesus, we see time and again, the scriptures tell us that when he would look at an individual or he would look out at crowds, he would view them through the lens of compassion and mercy. Forgiveness, compassion and mercy. So mercy is compassion for people who are in need. There will always be more needs than there is supply individually when you look around at what you can do. If we individually will assess the needs around us, our sphere of influence, our scope, the circle that God has put us in, the oikos, we talk about the oikos, those eight to 15 people that God has strategically positioned into your life. There will always be more needs than you individually can supply, but that does not mean that you individually cannot do something to extend mercy. You individually are being called upon by God to extend compassion, understanding, forgiveness, the mercy of God. Now, I want to talk for a minute about being merciful, what it means to be a person of mercy. Matthew 9 and 13, these are Jesus' words, and he's borrowing from the book of Hosea when he says this, but go and learn what this means. Now, now watch how Jesus framed this. Go and learn what this means, and what this means was a quotation out of Hosea 6.6. Here's what God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come uh, to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now, now let's really dissect this for a minute because I think if the most astute and notable teacher of all humanity, of all mankind, of all history, the most astute teacher says to you, here's your assignment, go and learn this one thing, then that's probably something we should perk our ears up, we should listen to and go and learn. And here's what he says, for I desire, I want, my hope is that you would be merciful beyond your sacrifice, beyond just making an offering, beyond having to give up something that you would just in the front end offer mercy. Be a person, here's what Jesus is saying, be a person of pre-forgiveness before you have to go and atone for your actions. Go ahead and decide that I am going to be unoffendable and I'm not going to let something eat me away. I'm not going to let me myself just corrode on the inside with the thoughts and the angst of what has happened. I am going to be a merciful person because I don't want to have to go and make the sacrifice. Years ago when I was in the car business, there was a, uh, an excellent salesperson. I mean, he, he was probably the top of the top. 
And yet he was, he was kind of uh, uh, fun at one time, jovial at another. And yet he had this, this ability to just fly off the handle, lose his temper, say and do things that he would regret later on. And he would always make amends with the one that he offended, usually very quickly. He learned how to do this very quickly. Like he didn't let the sun go down. He didn't want time to pass. But usually after he would blow his top, he would, he would lose control. He would go down the street about three blocks to Dairy Queen. He would get you a hot fudge sundae and he would come back with his sacrifice in hand to make amends for his bad behavior. <laughs> and we used to make a joke, oh, there he is again. He's coming in with the ice cream sundae. Somebody is about to receive a blessing because he's making a sacrifice. But here's what God says. I would much rather you have mercy on the front end than having to come down again and again and again and make a sacrifice. Now, there's nothing wrong with making sacrifices. There's nothing wrong with uh, making amends, with, with atoning for something that you have done wrong, with, with issuing an apology. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But what Jesus is saying is go and learn this. Go and learn this lesson. You can either learn it or you can feel it, but you might as well learn this lesson that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. One of the things that I was thinking about this past week as, as I was preparing for this, this beatitude on mercy. And here's one of the advantages when, you, when you're working through systematically through a, a series like this, you know what the next passage is going to be. Uh, I'm thinking about mercy and I'm pondering on this. And then we had this terrible tragedy, this, this national heart-rending tragedy of this school shooting, yet another school shooting in Texas this week. And I was thinking back on how that all throughout my public ministry, my, my, my pastoral ministry, going all the way back to 2006 when we planted New Freedom Church, there has been this theme, <clears throat> this theme culturally and nationally that has, has, has never really lifted over our country. And that is that these mass shootings continue to take place. And how the people respond. I mean, it's one thing to offer a prayer and to offer our heart's condolence. And, and in a very real way, we are all impacted when we see these things happen. I mean, it runs through our minds when we go past a school or we put our kids in school or we, we see uh, shootings even in our own area. It just, it, there is this almost a national kind of traumatic stress that hovers over us. And I remember that shortly after starting New Freedom Church, October the 2nd, 2006, something occurred in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania that was really beyond the pale. It was unthinkable, really, in the, in the moment, in the, in the season. But what happened afterwards was even more mind-blowing. You may remember that there was an Amish one-room school that a man went in, 32-year-old, milk truck delivery driver, went into that school sent all of the teachers and the males out of the school, tied up the young girls, and murdered five of those young girls, shot 10 of them and murdered five of those young girls before taking his own life. It was an unthinkable tragedy. And yet there have been hundreds of these mass shootings in the last 20 years. And we can get into all the problems of that and dissect that and we'll never come to the end of, of understanding and making sense out of, the, <clears throat> out of the senseless. But something I want to bring to your attention was said uh, by a professor of psychology, Stephen Nolt, regarding these responses that the Amish community had to the family of 
the perpetrator. You see, the shooter had a young wife and three young children. And after they buried their dead, the, the, the Amish families buried their girls, the next day, the widow of the shooter and his young children and his family were at a graveside service for him. And something amazing happened that our society, our culture, and our world were able to witness. That more than 30 Amish people in the community came to his graveside service, not to protest. They were not there to try to add salt in the wound of the family members who were left in the wake of that tragedy. They were there to create a human barrier and shield from all of the television cameras, true story, so that the media could not see while his family was grieving. They had just buried their little girls and they came to bring condolence and mercy and forgiveness to the family of the perpetrator. This psychologist called this decisional forgiveness. He may have even coined the term decisional forgiveness. And here's what he says, for most people, Forgiveness and acceptance come at the end of a long emotional process. In other words, something happens to us, we internalize it, we deal with it, we get sick about it, we can't eat because of it, we think all of these negative thoughts, everything in our lives get messed up and turned over, and we go through these stages of grief. We go through these stages, and maybe, possibly, perhaps, at the end of that long road, after years and years, then we will get to the place of forgiveness. But the Amish, he says, forgive first, and then every day they work through the emotions of that forgiveness. This is what Jesus is referencing when he said, learn this, I desire, I want, I would prefer that you have mercy rather and sacrifice. Mercy first, and then every single day working out the emotions of it. It goes on. You can read more about this story. It's, it's a fascinating, amazing story how the mother of the shooter decided that she would actually become friends with the Amish community and the families, and the Amish led her into their community, and, and she hosted a tea for them and, a, and a, a, a picnic that they invited her to. And, and they've had over the last 16 years just an amazing relationship as their lives have been intertwined forever in a way that mercy triumphs over judgment. Now that is being a person or a people of mercy. And when interviewed about it, the Amish people said, the world gives us way too much credit. It's not that this is easy for us. It's just the best for us. It's not easy. Being a forgiving person isn't easy. Being a merciful person isn't easy. It wouldn't be listed as one of the nine if it were easy. If it was just something that came as natural to us, then Jesus would have never had to address it. But because it's godlike, Jesus wants us to learn it. So talk about obtaining mercy. How do we get mercy? How do we obtain mercy? Is it something that I earn? Is mercy something that I can just work a few more hours for? 
oh, I know, maybe mercy is on the top shelf at the local store and I can go and purchase me a bottle of mercy and I can take a daily subscription, a daily dose of mercy, and then I can obtain mercy. No, 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 no. In God's economy, in God's kingdom, you get what you give. You get what you give. Okay, preacher, I don't know about that one. You're going to have to find Bible on that one. Okay, I'm glad you asked. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom, your heart area, your, your chest cavity, your bosom, your life, the center of your life. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. How many have ever heard that verse in church? Come on, raise a hand. You've heard that verse in church. When did you usually hear that verse at church? Don't make me scream. Don't make me shout. Turn them pockets inside out, right? It's at the offering time. That's usually when you've heard that verse. That's when I've heard that verse. It's okay. It can apply there too. You can't outgive God. I will admit you cannot outgive God. But if you look at the preceding verse, it's not talking about monetary giving in this text. Given it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall be put into your bosom, is talking about forgiveness. Go and read it. When you get home, read the preceding verses, a couple of them. It's talking about to the measure that you forgive, you will be forgiven. What do you mean that I get what I give in God's economy? Well, if you forgive little, you, you're going to get little forgiveness back. If you're a big forgiver, you're going to get a lot of forgiveness back into your life. Maybe not from people, but definitely from God. Can, can I tell you why that the people who have been so radically transformed by the gospel, whose lives have been in a total turmoil, degradation, and mess, can I tell you why that those are some of the best evangelists that any local church ever has? Some of the best evangelists are not people who's raised in church all their life and they've been good all their life because we know everybody raised in church has been good all their life, right? The people who have been forgiven much, who have taken that rocky road, who have been in the quagmire and the clay of life and they get washed clean by the blood of the lamb and they know that their sins have been forgiven, they become the best evangelists in the church. Why? Because they know what it means to be dirty Therefore, their cleanliness of heart is so joy-filled. It's so exciting. They want to tell everybody about it. Hey, you can be clean too. You don't have to be dirty either. You don't have to stay in the degradation of sin. You can be set free. You can be healed. Your mind can be restored. You can have sleep in your nights. You don't have to have sleepless nights all night long. You can have the peace and the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. That's why they become the greatest evangelists. Jesus goes into a, a long uh, parable about this in, in Matthew 18. You can, you can read it. It's, about, it's called The Unforgiving Servant. Uh, it's a fascinating story because it really illustrates so many of us in our own spiritual life. And I'll just give you a summary of the story, but basically there was a man, and I'm going to use generic terms, there was a man who owed a $100 debt. He couldn't pay his $100 debt, and so therefore he was thrown into a debtor's prison. Jesus is telling us this story. When the king hears that this man was thrown into a debtor's prison, the king had mercy on this man because he said, you know, this man has a family. He doesn't need to be in prison. He can't work in prison. Let's go ahead and let him out. Let's forgive his debt 
of $100 so that he can go and restore himself to his family. He can work for his family. Let's just forgive his debt. When the prison door was open, this man skipped out of the prison, and he was so elated that he had been forgiven this $100 debt. But quickly, he forgot what it was to be forgiven that $100 debt. And he went and demanded payment from someone that he saw that owed him one penny. Someone owed him one penny. And he went and he said, you pay me that penny right now. I want that penny back. You, didn't, you, you, you have frowded me out of my penny. And when the king heard that the man who had been forgiven a $100 debt quickly went and demanded the one penny payment from someone else, he authorized the authorities to go and rearrest that man, to throw him back in prison and punished him. And he was whipped and he was beat and he was taught a lesson. How many of us, having been forgiven such a great debt by God, demand and extract payment from others because of what they've said, because of what they've done, because of what they posted, because of how they acted, because of the way they looked? Did you see the way that he looked at me? I didn't think that he ever liked me. Why are you reading into everybody's facial expressions? I had one guy in this church years ago, we were in downtown and, and I'm preaching my heart out and I'm thinking this isn't getting through. And I look out and man, he has just got a poker straight face. After church, he comes up to me. I thought, oh no, here he comes. I'm in for it now. He reaches out his hand. He said, I want to tell you, that was a great message. And I wanted to look back to him and said, why don't you tell your face next time? You can encourage the preacher a little bit. Don't read into everybody's motives and think you know their heart. You don't even know your own heart. The Bible says that your own heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, and no one can know it. So how, if you can't know your heart, you think you can discern everybody else's heart? Come on, let's learn our own motives. Let's ask God to search our own hearts before we try to start purifying everybody else's hearts. Let's not be that unforgiving servant. Let's be grateful that we've been forgiven such a great debt and not extract pennies out of other people. Amen? Amen. Let's be a merciful person. What's it mean to walk in mercy? To walk in the mercy of God. When you practice, and it's okay to practice. Can I tell you it's okay to practice? Some of the most educated and accomplished people in the world are still practicing. They're practicing law. They're practicing medicine. They're practicing science. We're practicing theology. So it's okay for you to practice whatever area of your life. It's okay. But whenever you ongoing practice both giving and receiving mercy, there is a promise that is waiting for you. Because it says that if you will extend mercy you will obtain mercy. I give mercy, I get mercy. In fact, if you back it up theologically, Jesus sought us and bought us. He was looking for us to extend mercy before we were even in a condition to receive it. So we have been given and granted mercy by God and therefore we give it. And when we walk in mercy, it says we're gonna get more mercy. I love the, the, the closing of the 23rd Psalm. So many people take solace in the 23rd Psalm. It's a wonderful Psalm. We read this in times of trouble. We read this in times when our, when our hearts are heavy. But look at the 23rd Psalm, verse six. It says, surely goodness 
and say it with me, mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's following you today? What's chasing after you? Is the debt collector chasing after you? Is your past chasing after you? Is your reputation chasing after you? Are all of the bad decisions you've made chasing after you? You know, you can break that today. You can come with hands lifted high to heaven to say before God, I have made a mess of my life. I have tried to fix it on my own and I can't. I repent of my sin. I ask Jesus to be the chain breaker. I want to change the direction of my life today. And when you do that, when you make that admission, when you come before God with humility of heart, then goodness and mercy begin following you. They go after you all the days of your life. So each week, we've been doing a little posture change. We've been changing from each beatitude how that we do something. And here's the posture change that I want us to have today. I want us to go from the judgment posture, the retaliation posture, the getting even posture. And, and, and here's how the getting even posture looks. Here's what we do sometimes. Now, we used to do this as, as children. You ever play the head crasher game? It is the, the, the head squasher game. You take your finger and your thumb, you put it right over someone's head. I've got a guy right in. There you go. Just crushed his head. Crushed his head. Crushed her head. Crushed her head. You, this is a head crusher game. Some of you aren't admitting it. You don't just play it as kids. Some of you still play it as adults. When you're people watching out there at the boat ramp, you're like crushing heads. Let's change our posture from the head crusher, the people we'd rather get rid of, to putting our hands together and looking through the lens of love the lens of a heart. You can make a heart right there with your own hands and you can change your posture to look differently. You can take those same head crushing hands and turn them into a heart and you can have mercy and you can be a merciful person. I'm gonna close with this, walking in mercy, extending forgiveness is mercy in action. Here are some signs you're struggling to forgive by Mark Skanderit. He, he wrote these, and I just like these. Here are some signs you're struggling to forgive. Number one, you can't stop thinking about them and get worked up every time they come to mind. Number two, you end up sharing your grievance about them with anyone who will listen and try to control other people's opinions about them. Number three, you secretly relish the possibility that something bad might happen to them. Number four, you assume the worst about the other person and ignore any signs of their nobility. I mean, really think about it. The people who you're having these hard times with, there are signs of nobility, there are signs of goodness, there are things that they have done that are praiseworthy, that merit some appreciation. And lastly, you go out of your way to avoid them or you find it difficult even to look into their eyes. Are you struggling to forgive today? Are you struggling to be a person of mercy? 
God is calling us through this beatitude to be people like him, to be God-like, to be blessed. And if you want to be blessed, then you must be merciful. If you want to obtain mercy, you must forgive. Do you need to receive God's mercy today? Is there someone whom you need to extend God's mercy to today? Don't withhold it. Don't wait. Do it today. Let's be people of mercy. Let's be people of grace. Let's be great forgivers because we have been forgiven much.